Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. We started here last week, and we'll start again this week in the exact same verses. The Lord Jesus is the speaker, Luke 17, verses 26 and 27. But keep your Bible open, because we will be referring to quite a bit of Scripture I could have done with a third morning at this, for time has flown already, and that might be necessary. We'll see how we get on this morning. Luke 17, verse 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, or Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Father, take your word. We listen with intent to what you'll say unto us. Speak where you need to speak and say what you need to say and help us to receive that which we need to receive. Glorify your Son and glorify your name. For Jesus' sake I ask it, and I'll give you the thanks. Amen. Last weekend we looked at how Noah the man who built the ark. We always think of how Noah, we see little pictures on children's books and uh, children's stories, or Bible stories of a Noah with a big ark and maybe an elephant's head sticking out one end and a big giraffe sticking out the other. And it's a nice story. He builds an ark and because he builds an ark, they all get in and were saved in the flood. That is the essence of it, not the giraffe and the elephant but. But that's the essence of it. Those who were in the ark were saved from the flood. But we looked last week as how there's so much more to Noah and the story of Noah. People think it's a simple little story. No, we looked at times yesterday. We looked at names. We looked at biblical numerology and and how it it has such a weight behind it that even in these days, Jesus said that there's going to come a time when he will return, and as he returns, the state of the earth, the state of our nations, the state of this earth where we live in will be like the days of Noah. Briefly and quickly, we looked at how Noah was the tenth man from Father Adam, number ten. Ten speaks of God's divine and perfect order, and we showed that like the Ten Commandments, for example. Then when we think of Noah's father, Lamech, lived 777 years. His name means powerful. And Lamech, whose name means powerful, living 777 years, he was the ninth from Adam. Being the ninth from Adam, we find that the number nine in biblical numerology and scripture, it gives the idea of finality. For example, Jesus cried at his finished and gave up the ghost and died on the cross at Calvary on the ninth hour, on the ninth hour, the, the, it shows the power. Remember, Lamach means power. He's number nine from Adam. It shows the power of the cross, number nine. It shows the power of the blood. It shows the power of the one-time, once-for-all sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, that he will never, ever be sacrificed again. There he was, the Lamb of God, And now he will be, when he returns, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Number nine, Lamech's father, Noah's grandfather, was Methuselah. 
He was number eight from Adam. Remember, number eight gives the idea of eternity. The number eight is a never-ending number. We also know how the number eight represents, and this is important, new creation, new beginning, because it doesn't end. New creation, new beginning. So Methuselah, Noah's grandfather, was number eight from Adam. Remember this. I told you last week, he lived, that is Methuselah lived, 969 years. That's the longest known living man, Methuselah, 969 years. Methuselah's name, Methuselah's name means when he dies, it shall be sent. So Methuselah, Noah's grandfather, when he dies, a cataclysmic event would happen on the earth. And God gives him the longest of life, 969 years, possibly, probably, more than likely, and even I could say scripturally, because God was giving people time to get right with him. And when Methuselah died, the flood came. When he dies, it shall be sent. When Methuselah died, the flood came. So you can see it's more than just this story. For example, Noah's great-grandfather was Enoch, number seven from Adam. Enoch had a perfect testimony. And he walked with the Lord, and it says... And he was known not because the Lord took Enoch. Number seven in the scripture gives the idea of God's perfect, completed divine order or his perfection. So here we have seven is perfection. Enoch had a wonderful testimony before God. Enoch was so close with God, it says God took him. So here's a here's where we sort of would hang around a little moment where, Christian, how's your testimony when people look at you? How's your testimony when people listen to you? Have you a mouth like a sewer pipe to join in with the rest of the crowd? Have you got the the cursing, swearing mouth that people say... Listen to this Christian and his ways, her ways, and they're talking. How is your testimony? Are you in places where you shouldn't be? Are you doing things that you shouldn't do? How close are you with God for when Christ returns, uh, will he take you as it were to him? Where is your testimony in the sight of the world? Where's your testimony in the sight of the unsaved? In the sight of the backslider? Notice here, Enoch 7, perfect. Methuselah 8. When he dies, it shall be sent. When he dies, the flood came. It meant new beginnings, new creation. The, the ark was lifted up in the flood. And listen, the wicked were taken away, not the believer. Remember that? And the flood came and the ark rested on Mount Ararat, the scripture tells us. New beginning for them. And there were eight souls in the ark. New beginning. Now you notice this. Number nine. We have Lamech. Lamech was number nine means the finality. 
Now 10 is Noah. God's perfect divine order. And it's in Noah's day. Methuselah has died. And now in Noah's day, number 10, the flood comes. And takes them all away. Now here's a question for you. This cataclysmic event that was to come during Noah's day at the end of Methuselah's life. There's a cataclysmic event we're going to show you that Jesus said would happen and how it would be at his coming. His second coming will be cataclysmic for many. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be many professing believers who will not be in the kingdom for they don't know him. They don't know him. They profess, but they're not possessing Christ. They talk well, but they don't walk well. Notice here, there were eight souls in the ark. I want to show you how through Scripture, Noah now has been used. It's not just in the book of Genesis and two verses in Luke chapter 17 that speaks of Noah. Noah is mentioned throughout the Scriptures in the warning to Israel and the warning to people in general. For example, in Genesis 5, in Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9, and chapter 10, all those chapters speak of Noah, not just that one little narrative. All of them speak of Noah. Then there is a chronological line from 1 Chronicles 1 and verse 4 speaks of Noah again, a chronicler gives the diary of Israel's history, looking back past Israel, right into antediluvian world, which is the days of Noah and the flood, and gives the names of Noah and his sons, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Turn with me to Isaiah 54, please, if you will. Isaiah the prophet Many, many, many years after the flood. Many years. Isaiah 54, please. And let's read from verse 5. The Lord is speaking to Israel. Listen to what he says. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, And the wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. Notice God called you when you thought nobody would have you. God called you when you thought no one could love you. Listen, when you were unlovable, he loved you. When you thought no one wanted you, he wanted you. And notice here he says in verse 7, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, But with great mercies I will gather thee. In a little wrath I have hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. The Lord is saying that I may not always appear to be with you, but my mercy will never leave you. When I redeem you, you're mine. You're bought with the precious blood of Christ, people, 
child of God, you belong to him. And even at times when you feel that God is not with you, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Get that into your heart when you're weak, when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're down, when you're spiritually low. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Then get it into your heart when you're acting the way you shouldn't, being where you shouldn't be, doing what you shouldn't be doing because he's with you and you're bringing him into it. And he's holy. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, he says. Or back the front, it's the same. Thee forsake nor thee leave, never will I. But when you're Christ, he will never leave you. When you're Christ, he will never forsake you. When you're Christ, he is with you always, even unto the end of the age and into eternity. He's with you this morning, child of God. In your darkest times, in the worst of times, when the world is against us, when the world hates the gospel, when the world hates Christ, he's with you, neither to leave you nor forsake you. Notice this. He says in verse 9, For this is as the waters of Noah. Notice, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, So have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Now listen, child of God, if anything this morning, if you hear nothing else of what I say this morning, then if you take that scripture and think about it, meditate on it, ponder over it and take it in and read it, that will give you strength for every day of your life. God says, I'll be merciful to you. I'll be with you. God says, I've redeemed you. And God also says, I will show my kindness to you. Noah here, and it's to to do with something climactic. It's to do with something great. Chapter 14, for example, we don't need to turn to it, but you can write it down if you're taking notes. Ezekiel chapter 14. It mentions Noah, Daniel, and Job. It mentions them more than once, if you want to read it. And it calls them these three men. The prophet, under the inspiration of the Spirit, calls Noah, Daniel, and Job these three men. What have they got in common? One, Noah was righteous before God. He walked with the Lord. He obeyed him in the building of the ark. Two, Daniel, he was righteous before God, too. He prayed three times a day with his windows open to Jerusalem. Job was righteous in his ways before God when his wife said, curse God and die. He would not, but yet trusted in the hand of the Lord, even though he lost everything, family and all. Three of them came through something climactic to them. One was known the flood. Two, Daniel was taken away captive in the house of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. He was brought into Babylon and ended up under the Babylonian captivity. And three, Job, well, as I said, he lost everything that he had. He became a taunt and a proverb and a byword for the drunkards in the street. That's how low he got. That's how weak he felt. 
So they're mentioned again, all to do with something that's climactic, something that's big. For example, Hebrews in your New Testament, chapter 11 and verse 7, it says of Noah, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Notice, here's his faith, Noah being warned of God. God warned Noah to build the ark. The flood was coming. Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. He says, prepared an house, or pardon me, an ark for his house, or for the saving of his house. Everyone thought Noah was mad. They thought he was, he was nuts. They thought this man Noah is crazy, believing there's going to be something big to come to the earth. Listen, this time last year, or this time a few months ago, six, seven, eight months, if, if you'd have been told that you'd been driving down a motorway like I did yesterday, I went out for a drive yesterday and ended up in Drogheda. Went for a drive. Drove back up again. Alison and I. If you're told that what is happening now on the earth was going to happen at the beginning of this year, you and I would have said we're crazy. We're driving down the motorway. And here's these big neon lights shining and flashing every now and again, both on Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland. We're driving down. And what happens? Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Wash your And I appreciate the thoughts behind it. But listen, brother, and listen, sister, who would have thought it that you'd have seen people with their faces covered where you can't see their facial expressions? Who would have thought it where you'd have been queuing up to get into some shops two meters apart? Who would have thought it at the beginning of this year that the world would have been on a lockdown? That we'd have been two trillion in debt in the United Kingdom? And that the world would be, be in total slavery and bondage uh, to, the, to the new world order? Who would have thought it as they build their empire as they're doing now today? You wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it had happened that quick, but you're sitting in it. You're sitting in it. And the Lord says, as in the days of Noah, cataclysmic events are going to happen. And I'm coming back again. Jesus is coming, brother. Jesus is coming, sister. Are you ready? Are you messing about? Believer, messing about with the world? Will you be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Or will you be caught on? Will you be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Or will you be caught on? When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ... The beam of seat for believers now, not for the lost, the great white throne judgment. When you stand before the beam of seat of Christ, believer, brother, sister, listen. Before the beamer, will you have a beamer? I don't mean a car. Will you be embarrassed? Will you be seen naked in your shame with your heart that's went like water at the signs of the things that's come on the earth? Is this where you are, believer? I think of those who were burned at the stake for the faith. I think of those 
who had ropes tied around their ankles at the top of the Roman Colosseums and the other end was tied around the horses and the horses were whipped and as the horses went on, their feet went like this and down they went down the steps and the Roman soldiers cheered as their skulls smashed and their brains rolled out down the steps. All they had to do was to take a pinch of salt, throw it in the fire, denounce Christ and say, Hail Caesar, Hail Caesar as my God. Brother, sister, can I ask you, who's your Caesar? Or who's your God? Who's your Caesar or who's your God? You find many, many examples like that and time does not allow me to go on with those. People think when we Talking to someone the other day about this. Don't want to offend anyone, but this is the truth. I've even family members myself. And someone was not saved and died in their sin. Wanted nothing to do with Christ. Weren't born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood by faith. They weren't following Christ. And when they died, it was, well, sure, they're looking down on us now. All happy and up there and sure, Uncle Bob or Auntie Jean or whoever, whatever's up there with them. They're all having a great time. That's better than we are down here. I can tell you now, if they didn't know Christ, no, they're not. No, they're not. Here we find there are believers whose heart has gone like water to things that's come on the earth. I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. God is sifting the church. I'm not just talking about CET, I'm talking about in general. You know what's happening? He's showing up the pretenders. And many who were happy enough to tinkle along there, just toddle along the church. It's all done. Of no heart. Of no Christ. Where are you, brother? Sister, where are you? With Christ. Noah built an ark, seemed foolish. There was a cataclysmic event coming called the flood. Will you turn with me to First Peter, please? Peter's first letter, Peter chapter three. Verse 18. Peter, First Peter 3:18 says, "For Christ hath also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That's him dying for us. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By the which also, notice, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, verse 20, which were sometimes, which sometimes were disobedient. Notice, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. That means from the water. Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their four wives, eight 
souls were saved. Here's a question I want to ask you. Now, the ark is a type of Christ. Are you saved? They were in the ark and God shut the door. They were sealed in the ark. They were sealed in Christ. Are you saved? They laugh like you might laugh or some might laugh at a great event that is to happen upon the earth. And as I said, who'd have thought at the beginning of this year, you'd have been seeing these signs going down the motorway. You've been having it on the radio, social media, television, everywhere you go. Who'd have thought these things would have happened? Christ is returning. And you must be prepared. Listen, friend, once you die, there's no turning back. It's either heaven or hell. It's either heaven or hell for you. Second Peter, please. Chapter 2, verse 5. Let's go verse 4. For if God spurred not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment... This is the Word of God. This is not just some fanatical preacher up here. This is the Word of God. Bringing the flood upon the Word. Notice, into judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. The eighth person there means he's the eighth one in the ark. He is the tenth from Adam, but it's the eighth one in the ark. A preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Notice here, All of these witnesses from the book of Genesis, from chapters 5 through to chapters 10, from 1 Chronicles to Isaiah the prophet in chapter 54, to Ezekiel the prophet, verse chapter 14, to the Hebrew writer in the New Testament of chapter 11, to 1 Peter 3, and now to 2 Peter 2. And he's saying here, God spurred not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world. So here's here's what I'm asking you. Are you saved? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Notice here, Noah the tenth from Adam builds an ark, eighth person in the ark, so there's a new creation and grace in the ark. Notice here, Genesis 6 and 8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, Noah found something he didn't deserve. God says, build an ark, Noah. If you obey my word, you'll be saved. Genesis 8 and 20, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. There is his obedience. Genesis 9 and verse 9 says, And I beheld... I establish my covenant with you and your seed after you. Notice here, God made a covenant with Noah in chapter 9. That's the rainbow that we see in the sky. Notice God made a rainbow covenant. This is not an LGBT covenant. This is a covenant of righteousness. This is a covenant made between God and Noah and mankind. 
Unfortunately, turn to Genesis 9 for me, please. I am going through this as quick as possible. Genesis chapter 9. So God has made a covenant with Noah. God is showing Noah grace in chapter 6. Noah builds an ark to get into from, to save his family from the flood. God now makes a covenant with the rainbow in chapter 9. And then let your eye run right down to verse 20. I would advise you, Christian, to read the whole Bible. How does this happen? I don't know. But notice Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered their nakedness of their father and their faces were backward. And they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, Shall he be unto his brethren? And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall endorse Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Let me just bring this right down to you. Let me just bring it right home to you. God saved Noah, called him in the ark after finding the grace of God, sealed the door of the ark and in the judgment and the wrath of the flood he kept him afloat to bring him down to earth to start off a new a new life a new beginning you see second corinthians 5 and 17 says now therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature all things are passed away behold all things are become new this is what had happened to noah his sons and their wives noah plants a vineyard now listen Noah planting a vineyard, then we're hearing of his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We're told Noah drinks of the vineyard, Noah gets drunk of the wine of the vineyard, and he's naked. It says Ham, one of his sons, goes into his tent and sees his father naked. And it says that Noah, when he awakes, he curses not Ham, the son, but Ham's children. Here's a Noahic covenant is in chapter 9. The Noahic covenant is God makes the rainbow in the sky, not the flood of the earth. Now here's the Noahic prophecy of judgment in chapter 9, straight after it. How do you get here, brother? What's wrong with your life, sister? How do we do this? Noah Here he is, in a tent, drunk on his wine. His son sees his nakedness. You might say, well, that's a bit hard. Listen, people argue what is the nakedness. One, people think the nakedness is that there was an incestual homosexual relationship that Ham had committed on his father. Others say, no, because to uncover your father's nakedness in the book of Leviticus in the law, it says that that is to uncover your father's nakedness or to lie with your father's wife, which would be incense to his mother. But they don't know. 
They don't know which one it was. But whatever it was, they say it's because of verse 24. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. So whatever Ham had done, it was enough for Noah to curse his grandchildren. Here's four quick points. One, Noah lost his testimony. Yet, throughout the scriptures, he's seen as a great man. So how did he lose his testimony, you might ask? Because we're talking about his drunkenness this morning. It tarnished it. It tarnished his testimony. Two, Noah brought the worst out in his children. Listen, brother, Noah brought the worst out in his children. How you act, brother, how you act, sister, how you live your lives before your family, it affects your children. It affects them. Three, Noah blamed his actions on another. Oh, well, it's always somebody else's fault. That was inherited from Adam at the fall. He says to God, the woman you give me, she made me do it. He blamed his actions on another. And four, he brought trouble for his very descendants. The curse was generational after that. The Canaanites were the enemies of Israel right through the scripture. That was those who were cursed Ham's descendants. I'm finishing soon. Noah's actions brought the worst out of Ham, his son. And while one cannot blame Noah for the actions of Ham in its fullness, while one can't blame the actions of Ham, we must remember, brother, sister, we can't keep blaming other people. One must possess his own vessel. His own soul, her own soul. Notice Noah's actions. Noah's actions are still being talked about today. It's the hardest thing, or should I say, the the longest time to gather up a testimony for God. It takes time to build a testimony. It's the hardest thing to build. But it takes one fall, one moment. One false witness. It just takes one for your testimony to be in ruins. Just one. It was Noah's lack of sanctification that left the door open for Satan to come in. Notice Noah's lack of sanctification left the door open for the devil to come in to his family unit. Many hearts, many lives, many people. And they've let the devil into their lives and he's destroying them. Ephesians 4 and 7, Paul says, says, neither give place to the devil. Don't even give him a foothold. Just the once is enough to take you to hell. Ham was the weaker brother. And whatever his sin was against his father, it warranted that curse upon Canaan. And what a damning legacy this father left for his children. Ham's actions here is that they expressed a long 
Hidden resentment of his father's authority. I'm coming to a close. I need you to listen. I need you to get this because this is important. It's important for you as your wee one, with your wee one. We know it. It's important for me. It's important for all of us with our children or with our families. It's important with the grandchildren. It's important, brother. It's important, sister. Listen, brother, if you're as weak and watery with Christ, then don't expect your children to be any different. And when they get of an age, then that's up to them between them and God. Ham's actions here is that they expressed a long hidden resentment of his father's authority. Noah's authority was we walk with God, son. We come to church, son. We build altars, son. We sacrifice, son. We believe, son. We walk with him. And Ham has watched his daddy walk with God all these years. They build the ark. They're in the ark. They're in the flood. The ark comes to a rest. And once the ark comes to a rest, they're all coming out of this number eight of them, newness of life, a new creation, the world, and all that area is starting all over again. And down through the years, some think it's about 20 years by the time he plants the vineyard and Canaan is born. And all of that time, they've followed their father's witness. They've followed their father's testimony for God. They've followed their father in the faith. And now they see their father lying drunk in his nakedness. They see him lying in his nakedness. The preacher of righteousness... The one who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The one who built the ark of the saving of his house. The one who built an altar as soon as he came out of the ark. The one who inherited a covenant promise of a rainbow set in the sky. Their father now, lying drunk. How do you get here? After having a witness from God and a testimony like this. We're all human. We all could thank God for his grace in our lives. And yet down the the rest of the scriptures in time we see Noah. And he's still a righteous man. But his testimony's been tarnished. Comfort, Noah's name means peace or comfort. Comfort came through Noah. Comfort came from a world in chaos. Comfort came in the form of a man. Comfort came through a manifestation of grace, through the preaching of the word, through the example of righteousness. Comfort came bringing Noah as a light in the darkness. Comfort came, listen brother, of repentance. Listen brother, sister. We all let him down. We all fail him. You go to Genesis 6, it says, the days of Noah were like this. Every man fought evil continually in his own heart, his own mind. Read Genesis 6, it says, the earth was filled with violence. It was corrupt of the core. Do you see what's going on in this world? Have you heard of the pedophile rings? Have you heard of the wickedness of man? Have you seen it? Have you heard of the wars and the rumors of wars? 
Have you heard of the man's inhumanity to man? Have you heard of the desperation of we children starving in the world while the Bilderbergers and the, the Rothschilds and the Soros fund all of these lobbyist groups and create chaos. You know what the New World Order motto is? It actually comes from 33-degree masonry. You know what it is? Order out of chaos. The world's in chaos. If it was ever in chaos, the world's in chaos. Here's the next thing. We bring order. What do you do? Well, we tell you, put your fear in you that you'll listen to every single thing and do every single thing that we command you and tell you. That you'll eventually bow down to the altars of Babylon. And meanwhile, the drunkards of Ephraim, as the Bible says, the drunkards of Britain, what are they doing? They're drinking their way to hell. They're drugging their way in the parties. Listen, I was there. I've been there. I've been there. Many years ago, I was there. I'm not condemning you. I was there. They're wrecking, they're tearing, they're looting, they're bringing chaos to the cities and the towns everywhere. And what you're finding is now, there's going to be, all of a sudden, it'll get worse and worse and then there'll be someone to make a calm. Governments will make a calm. You know what it'll do? They'll be telling you what you must do to come further into subjection to an ungodly government who murders babies in the womb right up to birth. How can we trust someone? How can we trust a politician who would want to murder a child in the womb? Church? How can we? They're telling us they want to save lives, wear a mask and wash your hands. And that's all right, you can tell us that. But when they're willing to murder a child right up the birth in the womb, when they're willing to kill God will have his revenge for every single one of those millions and millions and millions of little babies which they have murdered. God will seek his revenge on this world's order, on this world's system. And God is coming back again. And I'm telling you this, when Christ comes back, there will be a new world order. It's called the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, 2020, so shall it also be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving marriage until the day came and took them all away. They didn't know, and the flood came. And whether you die or whether you live, if you're not saved, the next face you'll see will be at the judgment throne of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believer, whether we die or whether we live, 
You know who we'll see too? The Lord Jesus Christ. Not at his judgment throne for the unbeliever to be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 says that. That's in the Bible. No, we will see him and stand before him. We will give an account of our lives and he will reward those who have kept the faith and went on with him. He will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter thy end of the joy of thy Lord. May God bless you all this morning. May God bless you for now and evermore until Jesus comes or calls. Amen.